see what the Lord has to say to us from his word. So grab your Bible and open up this morning with me to the book of Acts, where we'll be heading in just a few minutes. It was 1976. Were you alive that year? Yeah, a few of us were. I was pretty excited on that morning in 1976 because my mom had made for me a little green suit. I think I've talked about this little green suit before, actually, as I recall. Back in that day, um, it wasn't uncommon for, for you to wear clothing that was made at home, okay? Now, this, I'm not talking like Little House on the Prairie days, okay? But in 1976, it wasn't that uncommon for my mom to go buy a bolt of cloth, yeah, I know the terms, okay, and a pattern, and lay it all out on our kitchen table, and she would cut it, and then, you know, stitch it together with a sewing machine, and, and by the time she was done, she had a little three-piece green suit for me, and I looked sharp, okay? As a matter of fact, you check out my Facebook page, I will put a picture of me in my little green suit in 1976. I was in kindergarten, and in that day, you only went um, half a day, and so uh, I was waiting for the bus in my little green suit. Might have been first grade. I can't remember exactly. But I was pretty excited because it was picture day. And I was really excited to have my little green suit and to smile for the picture. So there I stand waiting for the bus. And I'm there and I get this feeling. Some of you know this feeling. It's just like tightness, this heaviness in my abdomen. And I realize I, I, I need to get to the bathroom. I, I've got to go. And I'm, I'm waiting, but I don't want to miss the bus because it's picture day and I've got my little green suit and I want to be ready for picture day in my little green suit. So when you see that picture on my Facebook page of me smiling with a 1976 behind me in a little green suit, know that I'm sitting there in wet pants. As, as the bus came around the corner for me to climb aboard, I couldn't wait any longer. And let's just say the bladder let go. And that day, I spent the whole day in wet pants. Now, why? Why? Because I didn't want to miss the bus. I didn't want to miss the bus. Flash forward. Flash forward. 20 years. I'm now 26, 27 years of age. I was a happy man. I was, I, was, I was a public school teacher. I was married. I had a couple kids. And I loved my job. I loved what I was doing. I really did. But God had opened up a door for me into opportunities that were open up my eyes to new possibilities. See, I'd become a part of a church. I began to grow in Christ. Had a good friend who came into my life and, and really was personally discipling me and helped me to grow in my relationship with Jesus. And I was seeing that God uses people. He uses people to, to grow and to reach other people. And things that really matter. Okay? You see, I was teaching mathematics and I was in some ways selling a product, but at the end of the day, I, I, I didn't know really what difference I was making for, for my life at that point. And 
God was opening up my eyes to, to another sort of door of opportunity. But honestly, I'd come to the conclusion that I'd missed the bus. I was 26, 27 years of age, and, and I thought, you know, I, I just, I missed the bus. If I could go back 10 years and make a different decision, if, if I would have known to do this or to do that, things would be different, but, but I can't. I'm now where I am, and I guess I just missed the bus. And so what happened is, on this fateful day, a, a pastor at the church came to me and said, hello. I'd like you to do something. And I was like, well, sure, whatever you want me to do. You're my pastor, right? I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me, I'll do it. Tell me, I'll jump, tell me. He said, I I want you to teach in our senior high Sunday school for the next four weeks. I was like, oh, I I don't think I can do that. I... Listen, I'll set up chairs, or, or I'll help you set up a basketball court, or I'll serve drinks, or, but stand in front of a group of people and open up the Bible and teach the Bible? I don't think I can do that. I missed that bus. I don't think I can do that. But he encouraged me, and he prodded me, and he helped me, and so I stepped out by faith and taught four weeks on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is and what his ministry is and how he works in our lives. And through that four weeks of teaching, just in an upstairs back classroom with ninth and 10th graders, probably about 15 of us sitting in the room, in a little circle on folding metal chairs, I sat there and opened up the Bible and taught these kids about the Holy Spirit and wanted to see God get hold of their life, right? I was really expecting that God would do this really neat work in their lives. Little did I know that the one that God was going to work on was me, was me. You see, I had thought I had missed the bus. I don't know what that bus even was, but I thought I'd missed it. I thought it was too late. I thought I'd already made my life decisions. I thought I'd already sort of set the pattern for my life. I'd already kind of established this is who I am. This is what I do. These are the kind of things I invest my life in. I thought I'd already made all those decisions And the bus was already gone. The ship had already sailed. The door was shut. I was set with my pattern for life. And God got a hold of me and changed the complete direction of my life. Now, that isn't how the Lord called me into vocational ministry. I'm not talking about that. That's how the Lord opened up my eyes that I hadn't missed the bus, that he could use me, that he had gifted me through his spirit, that he had called me to be involved in discipling other people. Listen, you didn't miss the bus. I don't care if you're 16 or 76 or somewhere in between or even past one of those two edges. You have not missed the bus. You can be used of the Spirit of God. It's not too late for you. You have not made too many bad decisions. You have not already set the pattern for your life. All those things are lies because God still uses broken people that he fixes. That he rebirths, 
that he remakes. And I want to call you to a bus this morning. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss the bus. I'm going to tell you about some buses that are coming. I've got a couple of announcements that, that I want to walk through here. First of all, you need to know that next week is a big week for Centerpoint Bible Church. It really is. Next week is a big week for us because we have come to the understanding that our time at Spring Mills Middle School is now limited. We have basically to, to, to the end of next year, okay? And so what that means for us is we are going to make the most of the opportunity the Lord has given us here. And so we want to invite you to come with us as we launch a second service next Sunday. Launch that with us. Come be part of it. Don't miss the bus is what I want us to understand. We don't want to miss the bus of seeing what God is going to do. We're stepping out by faith, believing that God has called us to reach this community for now. And so we are launching out in an effort to be more proactive, to invest more in what God is doing. And we want you to come with us. So next Sunday, we're going to start a second service that will begin at 845. All right? We need you here. We need you here. Some of you, you just may have the ministry of presence because we want to see people that are invited to come join us in worship to be here. And I want you to be here at 8.45, and I want you to show them a, a welcome, happy face. I want you to greet them in the morning. I want you to say, how you doing? Glad you're here. How long have you been coming to Centerpoint? That's what you say next week. How long have you been coming to Centerpoint? Okay? And they might say, I've been here since the launch. They might say, well, this is my first week. Whatever. Doesn't matter. How long have you been coming to Centerpoint? Glad to see you here. You got somebody to sit with? You're welcome to sit with me. At 8.45, we have our first service. And then at 10 o'clock, we have our focus hour. And then at 11 o'clock, we have our second service. You say, why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Because here's the reality. If you walk into a theater, if you walk into a theater, and you walk into that huge room, and there's only a few chairs here and there and here spread across the room, and you've got your family of four or five behind you, you're probably going to walk out the door. Because there's nowhere for us to sit. We want people to feel like they can come here and worship the Lord and more importantly, be impacted by the word of God. So come with us. Come with us. Don't miss this bus. Don't miss this bus. I'm telling you, on the bus will be an adventure of seeing Christ work. I want you to have the joy of knowing that you were praying and that you were seeking the Lord and that you were involved in what God was doing in reaching people, because there is joy there. There's joy there. There's other buses too. I shared this last week. I want to just walk through this again, if I can get there. How many of you know that we, catch, we run things up here, and it's hard to do at the same time? I'm struggling here, guys. I don't know what the problem is, but um, do you mind being patient for just a minute? Hey, by the way, thank you for your prayer and support over the last month. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, I had surgery almost a month ago, and um, it, was a, it was a tough time. It really was. And um, 
Many of you have, have shared with me that you were praying for me, and, and many of you reached out and, and, and sent things my way that were a huge encouragement, and um, thank you very much. I'm telling you, without your prayers, I don't know if I'd have made it, um, I, only because it really was a tough time, and I'm a big wimp. Um, so I'm thankful for, for your prayer support. And listen, you need to pray for other people who are going through troubles. Pray for Bill McGinley, just had knee surgery last week. Be lifting him up. You know, if you have something that's going on in your life, you need prayer, I know it. Fill out the bottom of the worship notes. Drop that in the offering plate. Put it in the box over there. Give it to Chris Dozier. Give it to Pastor Roger Hendershot. We'll pray for you. We want to be there to support you and and to be with you as you walk through those challenging times. So I got my system to work up here. Let me tell you about another bus. I shared with you last week that, that the elder board is feeling led to begin a process of evaluating a next step for Centerpoint Bible Church. And we have begun a, a feasibility study on a building that is located um, in the center of Berkeley County. It's on Winchester Avenue. This would be a big change for our church. We don't know that it's going to happen. But we do know that there are limitations to our being here in this building. We are limited by time. We're limited by availability. We're limited by use. And we believe all those things have limited us as a ministry. It's got us off to a great start. We've had 10 years to build up potential energy. But we want to launch now in a greater way in our community. And so we need, we need the opportunity to touch more than Spring Mills, but Berkeley County in the wider area. We need 24-7 access. We want to do things through the week for our children, for our youth, for our adults. And we can't. We, we find homes that we can meet in. We find restaurants that we can go to. We find little nooks and crannies that we can meet at. But we're limited. And we understand that there have been in churches for 2,000 years that have operated in back rooms and in, in underground caverns. We understand all that. But in our culture, in our setting, we believe God has led us to, to find an opportunity where we can have more opportunity to, to spread the gospel in a greater way. And so we're praying about this building in the center of Berkeley County. Now, we don't know this is going to happen. We don't know that. That's why we're starting what what is called a feasibility study. This is a 180-day process of evaluating that building and, and evaluating things such as the environmental impact, the structure of the building, the ministry use, the financing of it, the, the feasibility of our using that building. You need to pray. Because there's a list of about 50 things and just one of them could shut the door. Just one thing could shut the door. So we're seeking the Lord to reveal his will through this feasibility study. I do want to mention that in three successive Wednesday nights in December, December 5th, December 12th, December 19th, we're going to meet in three different homes where we kind of have one of those town hall meetings where we can interact. Because I know you have lots of questions. Because some of you have got them to me in one way or another. And you've got a lot of questions. And listen, I don't have a lot of answers, but I can tell you what we're, where the Lord has been leading us. And so on December 5th, December 12th, and December 19th, we're going to be in three different homes. Mark and Gina McKenzie, they live kind of in the middle of Martinsburg, in the middle of Berkeley County, sort of, okay? And they've opened their home up on December 5th. Sign up if you'd like to be there that night. The Millers, they live kind of on the southern part, kind of, of Berkeley County, okay? And they've opened their home up on the 12th. And then the Hayes, who live kind of in the northern part of the county, they've opened their home up on the 19th. Pick one of those Wednesdays 
and be there that night where we can interact for probably an hour or so, and we can talk about how the Lord has been leading. We can give you more details, because I'd like to have a conversation with you about it. I can talk this way. I can, I can share some of the vision in this way, but, but in reality, we need to talk, you and I, okay? Sit down at a coffee table and talk about this. So we're going to do it in these homes. There's three clipboards over there. Sign up to be at one of those settings and come join us as we talk about this. I also want to mention this. So many things. I'm sorry for the overload of announcements, but I haven't been here for four weeks, so give me, you know, give me a little bit of time here. So next Sunday is a neat opportunity for us. Not only are we going to multiple services, but next Sunday will be our first real first focus. So next Sunday, we won't be having our normal focus hour, okay? Everything that's supposed to happen next Sunday, it will be delayed a week. Sorry, middle, I misspoke this morning in our focus group. It's the next week. But anyway, that's beside the point. So next Sunday is our first focus. This is a time for us as a church to come together. We won't have one, we'll have one large focus group here. And next Sunday is going to all be about worshiping the risen Christ and the way that he has directed us to do it. I want to be honest with you. I've been looking forward to December 2nd, first focus, for honestly 10 years. 10 years. Because for 10 years, we've celebrated communion on occasion, about every other month or so, once a quarter. And I always feel a little rushed. I always feel like it's almost a tag on, and I've felt guilty about that at times. Like, Lord, we need to have more of an opportunity to worship you in the way that you have invited us to. That's our time next Sunday. I want you here, 10 o'clock, but 50 minutes. We're going to worship the Lord the way that he directed us to. And so be there for that. Well, today we're going to dive back into the Great Commission. And, and you should be in the book of Acts this morning. And um, I, I'm, I, want to, I want to review a little bit what we've been dealing with over the last few weeks. Okay, so the Great Commission, could you find that in your Bible? Well, the truth is you can turn to five different places. Most of us turn to Matthew chapter 28, and that's a great place to go for the Great Commission. But in reality, all four of your Gospels record an occasion where Jesus shared his last marching orders for his disciples. And so that, it's very important for us to, to realize that, that Jesus' kind of last command should be our first concern. What he directed, it should be the thing that drives us most. Now, just as a memory aid, remember we, we said you can think of it this way, okay? Think of it this way. Everybody take your left hand and hold it up like this, all right? Take your left hand. And each of the digits represent one of the five times that Jesus shared the Great Commission, okay? And here's how you walk through it. This middle finger right here, that's Matthew, all right? So we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Okay, everybody do that with me, ready? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Now I lay those out because those, as it turns out, that is the order in which Jesus shared the Great Commission. The first time that Jesus gave this directive to his apostles was in the gospel, it's recorded in the gospel of John, and it's on the night that he was resurrected. And last week we heard that explained. And so as you, as you look over the five times that, that Jesus shared this great commission, the last digit, your pinky, it represents the book of Acts. 
And it is the final time, it is the final time that Jesus shares this great commission with his apostles. Now, in reality, there were only 40 days that Jesus, after Jesus was buried, he died, he was buried and resurrected. And for the next 40 days, from John through Acts, Jesus interacted, talked, and was with his followers. He appeared, now listen to this, he appeared to over 500 witnesses. Over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. And when you read in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus, he says, and some of you were alive then. Witnesses of the resurrected Christ. We, if you are wrestling with whether or not Christianity is true, whether or not Jesus is the Christ, whether or not there really is salvation found in Jesus, where you must go is the resurrection. If Jesus Christ came out of that grave alive and ascended to be with the Father, then what he said is true. And he said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Now, the thing that's interesting about the, the five great commission episodes that are recorded in the four Gospels in the book of Acts is as they develop over time, when you start in John and you end in Acts, it's like Jesus is unveiling more and more and more to the apostles. If Jesus would have started with what he shared with them in the book of Acts, the, the pinky finger, okay, I believe they would have been overwhelmed and just thrown into town. So instead, Jesus kind of slowly unveiled, over 40 days, he unveiled to them what he was going to do and invited them to get on the bus. I mean, look at what he said to them. Look at what he said to them. In the Gospel of John, he said, I'm going to send you the way the Father sent me. In Mark, he said, I'm, you're going to go into all the world. And I wonder if in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, when he said, you're going to go all the world, did they just think, oh, yeah, he, he's, just, you know, he's just kind of speaking in big generalities. He doesn't really mean all the world. So he goes a little further and goes from all the world to all the nations. All the nations. And that, that word, it doesn't mean countries as in a border it means a people ethnos is the word an ethnic group usually divided not by skin color by the way but by language going back to genesis chapter 11 and so that jesus is unveiling here what he's going to do and he said in luke all nations you're going to start in jerusalem and go out from there so now it's getting real it's getting real but in Acts chapter 1, he now blows their minds. Let's read the first 11 verses. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, the, the author of the book of Acts is not named Act, okay? His name is Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the largest amount of scripture in your New Testament. Paul wrote the most number of books, but Luke wrote the most words. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So he says, I wrote you the first book. Now in verse 2, he's writing the second. 
All that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them, a military term, by the way, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is what Jesus is saying. You were immersed in water through John the Baptist. You were immersed in water, but you're going to be immersed in the Spirit. Verse 6. So that when they had come together, the disciples now and Jesus, they ask him, Lord, Will you at this time, and I see him doing this, will you at this time restore the kingdom in Israel? Is that, is that what's going to happen? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons, epochs. It's not, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. But, now that word is very important. There's a change here. There is a contrast There is a transition happening. Something big is occurring. The bus has pulled up, folks. The door has opened. And God is inviting us. He's inviting the apostles and through their ministry, inviting us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, close quote. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, imagine this now. Imagine this. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, their mouths are fallen open. They're watching up into the sky as he just ascended before them. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray before we go any further. Father in heaven, Lord, we want now for your spirit to speak to our heart. Lord, this is your mission. This is your invitation. It's not too late. We have not waited too long. You are ready and willing to give us a new start. Lord, you are ready and willing to open up our eyes to see the world as you do. You have given us the gift of your spirit. Now, Lord, we pray that he would come and take the gift of your word and challenge our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk today about the mission. 
the mission of, of what Christ has called us to, the mission of reaching the world with the gospel. It is the most important mission that you could ever choose to accept. All others pale in comparison. None of the others matter, folks. None of the others matter. The mission of Christ, if you are truly a follower of Christ, if you are truly one of his, if he is your Lord, his last command is our first concern. And so when we look at the mission today, we need to recognize a a quick reality before I go any further. I'm not going to share with you anything that's new today. You probably could come up here and preach this message, all right? The problem is not our knowledge. The problem is that we don't already know this. The problem is that we don't truly believe it. We don't really believe what God has called us to. We know it. We could explain it. Maybe you couldn't necessarily quote it. Maybe you wouldn't feel comfortable preaching a message on it. But you know it. Our problem is a problem of belief. It's a problem of belief. And the belief boils down to this. We don't really believe that God's way is the very best for us. We don't really believe that. We think we actually know a little better about us than God. So when people like me come up front and talk about the mission and talk about this is where we're supposed to invest our life, we think that we are a parenthesis, an exception. And we say, well, that's probably true for most, but you don't know about my situation. One of the main reasons we don't trust God is because we trust our own wisdom too much. We trust our own wisdom too much. So therefore, we trust our God too little. And the disciples understood that. The followers of Christ understood that. They're revealing that same issue all through these 11 verses. They're battling over this themselves. Do you really know best, God? Do you really know best? Are you really my designer? Are you really my maker? Are you really my recreator? Am I really a new creature? And the answer to all those questions is yes, 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 yes. You're a new creature with a whole new design. Maybe you didn't know this when you walked the aisle or, or signed the paper or, or came forward in a, in, a, in a service. Maybe you didn't really know what God was going to do. But let me tell you what he's going to do. Maybe he's already done it in your life. He's going to make you a new creature with a new mind and a new heart. And your new heart cannot be satisfied with anything less than Christ and his mission. That's your new heart, folks. Sorry, you got it if you're in Jesus. He's given you a new mind. And this new mind recognizes the truth of this call. And so you might feel this tension. You might feel this rub. You might feel this stutter in your step. And you wonder what it is. Could it be? Could it be that in your heart, the mission isn't as urgent as it should be? Now let's see some things that that are included here, okay? First of all, I want you to see, I need to make sure, I'm going to skip right now all the way to verse number eight because invariably I run out of time and I want to make sure I hit the most important point first, okay? So I want to talk about in verse number eight a word and it's the word 
witness. Let's read verse number eight. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Doubtless, this is the key verse of this section of Scripture. And I would argue that this is the key verse of the book of Acts. That this verse now shows us exactly what God is going to do. And God then takes the gospel into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But what I want us to see today is this one word, witness. Because in this word, we find what God's call is to us. Jesus places it inside of an imperative. An imperative is a command. He says, you will be my witnesses. Follower of Jesus, new creature, this is not an invitation. This is not an opportunity. This is not an offer for you to sign up. It's a command. It's a command that you will be Jesus' witnesses. Let's talk about the word witness. Have you ever been a witness in a trial? I was called one time to witness in a trial. It was a custody hearing. It was a child, mom and dad, dealing with who's going to have this child, and they called me forth as a witness. I walked in there all proud, like I was going to really handle this situation right. I mean, come on, I'm a professional, I'm a professional talker, right? It's what I do for a living. I'm going to run this, I'm going to just run this courtroom. And so I sat down there, and there's two attorneys, and I'm sitting there and they ask me a couple questions and I'm telling you about the third question. They had me looking like an idiot. I was a horrible witness that day. I thought I really could handle it. I couldn't. We know that kind of witness. But that's not really what this word exactly means. Let me tell you the Greek word. This might strike you. The Greek word that's translated witness in your English Bible is the word martyros. From the root, martyr. Huh. Boy, that's interesting. Martyr. I have it there on your screen so you can see it in case you're interested. The word martyr in the Greek, in this day when Jesus said this, when Luke wrote it down, it meant a person who witnesses facts. They see something and then they go and testify to it. They explain what happened and they verify the truth of the event. They testify to the veracity of the event. That's to what the word martyr means. Now that's not how the word is used today, right? You see what happened was this. These very men and women, 120 that night who then grew into thousands, were launched out of Jerusalem on a mission, and they went martyring. They went martyring. They went witnessing. Everywhere they went, they went testifying to the veracity of events. And the event that they testified to the veracity of was the resurrection of Christ. Everywhere they went, they said, did you hear about Jesus? He was dead, and now he's alive. And they went testifying to the veracity of this resurrection. And their audience didn't like it. The people they went to witness to, 
They didn't appreciate this message because it was convicting, because it was exclusive, because it said that if Jesus was resurrected from the dead, then what he said is true, and he said he is God, and no one comes to the Father except through him. We don't like that message. So many of them died wicked deaths. Literally, hundreds, probably thousands died on a cross. And over the next set of thousand years, thousands were burned at the stake. Some were sawed in half, run through with spears, thrown to wild animals, killed by gladiators for fun, placed up on posts, doused with oil and lit to light their gardens. Folks, these are the things that they did to these witnesses. And the word grew in meaning. It went from one who testifies to the veracity of event to one who believed in the veracity of an event that such a level that they were willing to lay down their life. Martyr doesn't mean somebody just died for something. Oh, that's what the news media says? I know. He died as a martyr. Martyr is a Christian word. And it means one who so believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they were willing to pay all to testify to the veracity of who Jesus is and what he did in what he offers. And Jesus says, I am your Lord. I am your Savior. I am your Master. You will be my witnesses. Feel it. Feel it. Now, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do a task that I can't do? How am I going to face a fear that haunts me down? How am I going to go ahead and open up my mouth and testify to the resurrection of Christ, even though I know I'm going to be looked at as one of those weirdos? Listen, I'm no different than you. I'm no different than you. I go to the barber shop one day. They didn't know me from Adam. I wasn't Pastor Lowell there. I was just some guy getting his hair cut. And honestly, I kind of liked it. It was nice. It was nice to just sort of be, you know, hiding there in the background. I'm sitting there in a chair. Clip, 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 cutting my hair. Talking about everything. You know, football, like you do in a barbershop. Football and cooking. Yes, you do. Yes. <laughs> Talking about everything. Guy's got the clippers cut in the back of my hair. He says, so uh, what do you do? Now listen, you got to know, I'm, I'm no different than you. I'm no different than you. Don't think I'm something that I ain't. Crisis of belief right then. Crisis of belief. Am I going to stand up and I'm going to say, well, I'm a pastor of a church. I tell people about Jesus every single week. 
or am I going to give some little weak little answer that will get me out of this moment? I know what it's like. How are we going to do this? How are we going to face the fear? Well, let's see what Jesus says, okay? Now that we've got the most important part, let's see how it all plays out, all right? Let's walk through this passage. First of all, we need to understand some truth about this commission and this mission. First of all, it includes instruction. It includes instruction. Just, I want you to see this briefly, okay? Look at verse 2 and 3. Until the day that Jesus was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive and appearing with them for 40 days, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. One of the ways we're going to be able to walk into the mission and not shrink back in fear is we have to be instructed in who God is and what the kingdom of God is. This, can you imagine this 40 days of seminary training that these apostles went through? Where Jesus was with them, teaching them, showing them who he is. Now we don't have that opportunity, but we do have opportunities here in the local church. And instruction is important. We have to be instructed in what the gospel is, who God is, who man is, who the spirit is, who Jesus is, what it means to be saved. We've got to have these truths in our heart. Otherwise, we will shrink back in fear. What we recognize here is that we must be involved in teaching and in reaching. What this passage and and the rest of the Bible shows us is that we must have, now listen to this, a solid mind and a broken heart. That's what you need. If you shrink back, if you don't have either one of those, you're going to fail in this mission. A solid mind and a broken heart. We as the church sometimes elevate one over the other, but the Spirit of God brings balance. Yes, you do need instructed. Yes, you do need taught the Word of God. Yes, you do need to be in church. Yes, you do need to be at focus group. Yes, you do need to be in small group. Not to pad our numbers. Do you really think that's what we feel? Do you really think we're that malicious? No. No, it's because you need it. I need it. Oh, I look forward to the weeks that I get to listen to somebody else teach. I sit there and soak it up. Like, oh, yeah, bring it. I want a solid mind. But I also got to have a broken heart. You see people around you who are broken, who are lost. I'll say this just briefly. You've heard of the Great Awakening? You heard of that? Mid-1700s, in the, in the 13 colonies at the time. There was a revival that went across those 13 colonies that, that probably is unmatched in American history. What's interesting about that? It was primarily led by three men, okay? Their names were Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, and John Wesley. Uh, relax, I'm not going to talk too long about this, Okay? Here's what you know about all three of those men. All three of those men. These men were staunch expositors of God's words. George Whitfield would stand in fields with with literally, literally thousands of people around him and walk through the election of God in believers' lives. Jonathan Edwards would be in his little church up in New England and teach people about the depravity of man from Romans. 
You ever read? Did you have to read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God in freshman college English class? Did you have to read that? It is a boring, boring sermon. And Jonathan Edwards stood in front of his church and read it. Read it. And from these men and their desire to teach the word of God, God brought revival. We cannot simply have broken hearts. We must have solid minds. Jesus spent 40 days with these men, teaching them, and not only teaching them, but warning them. Look at verse number four. He says, and while staying with them, Luke writes, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. It's a warning. Don't leave. Man, you're not ready. You are not ready. Don't leave Jerusalem. Listen, I want to warn you. You get in this mission, you jump in this adventure, you climb on the bus, and there is opposition coming. Listen to the word of God. In fact, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Let me say it again. In fact, all, that's a powerful word, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I've got no magic wand. I've got not, no super duper pill that if you take and then when you talk about Jesus sitting in your barber chair that the whole room's going to applaud. Well done. Doesn't happen that way. The mission comes with a warning. For them was, you better wait here because you're not ready. You're not ready. And what does he tell them? Well, they are to continue to wait, but they're struggling with that. Look at verse number four and five, okay? And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, this promise is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had spent a great deal of time helping them understand that the Spirit of God was coming. In verse number five, he says, John baptized with water. We referenced this earlier. But you will be baptized. Literally, the word baptized means immersed. It means to be dunked is what it literally means. You will be immersed or dunked in the Holy Spirit. So he doesn't get some of you. He gets all of you. Okay? You will be immersed in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So verse number six. So when they had come together, they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Last week, Pastor John, out of the Gospel of John, showed us how these apostles had high expectations for what following Jesus was going to mean. And here they are, 40 days later from the passage that John dealt with, and they're still wanting to see this kingdom restored. Really, if you look at the, let's read it again. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're asking two questions. And these two questions, again, haunt Christians. They haunt you. And they limit you. And they keep us out of the mission. The two questions are who and when. Who and when. And the expected answer that the apostles had is us and immediately. Us and immediately. Look at it. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see what they're driving at? Jesus, set up the kingdom and do it now and do it with us. 
Do it with us. They wanted political power. Honestly, what they truly wanted, what this, what this is revealing is, they're still dealing with wanting to destroy the Romans. They want to defeat the Romans. And they're asking two questions. Who and when? And the answer they want is us and immediately. And oh, we struggle with that. We struggle with that. Who and when? I want the gospel to be all about me. I want Christ to be all about me. I want it to be all about me, and I want it to be all about me now, immediately. See, we, we ask two questions, expecting two answers. Who and when, us and immediately. And we keep going back there over and over again. But look what Jesus says. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. The times or the seasons the Father is fixed by his own power. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. See what Jesus is saying? You want to know who and when? The who is everyone. Everyone. And the when is until eternity. This is the mission. As followers of Christ, we have been given the gospel. And that doesn't mean, so now you don't have to go to hell. That's not all that it means. It means you've been given the gospel as a deposit. You're holding an investment. Paul says it's been placed in clay jars. Clay jars tend to break. And when they break, they leak. And God is saying to us, you are going to go into the world You will be my witnesses. Witness of what? Witness of the resurrected Christ. Testifying to the veracity of the resurrection of Christ. I'll warn you. It's not going to be easy. The only way you can do it is that the Spirit of God has indwelt you. And your pot is going to break. And when it does, the gospel will pour out. This is the plan. This is the plan of God. It requires patience. That promise in verse number eight, that promise in verse number eight, you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I want to remind you of something Jesus said in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, the, Jesus is, is there at one of the feasts, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of activity going on. And Chapter 7, verse 37, I'll just read it to you. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out this. I want you to, I want you to know what's happening here. At this feast, what, what happens is there, there, are, there are thousands of people that are in Jerusalem, Okay. And it says here that Jesus now rises up above them. He stands up above them. It's unique what he does. He stands up above and he cries out. This is a shouting word, okay? This isn't him just talking to the guy next to him. This is him bellowing it out for all they could hear. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is an expression Jesus liked to use for what he was offered to people. Living water. John explains in verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. I read you that passage because I want us to understand clearly the teaching of Jesus. Jesus desires to bring living water to a dry and parched land. And that living water is the Spirit of God in us. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You are a vessel that holds the living water of the Spirit. And Jesus is calling us to take this into every dry spot on earth. That's your workplace. That's your community. That's your home. That's everywhere you go. That is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It's all dry. It's all dry. And Jesus says, go. For you will be my witnesses. To end, we'll just read verses 9 and 10 and just say something briefly about him. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... Now, what's going on in their minds? They're worshiping. I mean, they are, we just saw something amazing. You're awesome, God. Praise you. They're shocked. They can't believe what they saw. I see them there like this, all right? And they're praising God. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into heaven? The same Jesus is coming back in the same way. In a moment, we're going to worship. Just a moment, we're going to have the praise. They're going to lead us in worship. Some of us are going to stand with our hands lifted high. And we're going to praise God for all he's done. And that's great, and that's well, and that's fine. And you'll worship God into eternity in a similar way. But I want to say to you this. Men and women of Center Point, why, why do you stand here and worship? Why do you stand here and worship? It's Jesus is coming back. Now go be in the mission. Go to the mission. Following Jesus isn't standing here in a church service praising God. Oh, that's well and fine, and I'm excited about it. I look forward to it. Thank you for your ministry. But following Jesus on this planet is leaving this place and going and being a witness. Testifying to the veracity of the truth of the resurrection. So we will lift our hands and we will worship. And then we will run out of here and we will worship as his witnesses. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your truth, for the reality of it, for the presence of your spirit, for your work in our life. Lord, we do love you and we thank you for grace that found us, saved us. You are an awesome God, Lord, and we thank you for that grace. Now, Lord, as we worship you, I pray that we will be driven, driven to respond to your command and go out of this place and worship you by inviting other worshipers as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.